And I wanted to um, continue on this long series that I started last year in 2003 about the return of Jesus. For most of you know that one of our vision in his church in Midway is to prepare for the return of Jesus. And I believe that uh, Pastor Maker, Pastor Nicholas touched very deeply on those topic over the last few weeks. And if you want to refresh your mind or listen to the word of God, please feel free to go to the podcast, you know, on YouTube, whatever platform, you will find a lot, a lot of topic on the return of Jesus. Now, this is part 11. So we've been doing quite a lot on this uh, topic here. It's part 11. And I want to do a very, very, very quick recap um, because I sense the Holy Spirit want to do something different this morning as, we, as, we, as I share the word. So we begin to focus on this series called The Return of Jesus. And we have spoken about a changed world with many different agendas in place. And that's raised the following question to most of us, most believers is, as this the sign of the end time speaking by the different prophets through the Bible and Jesus himself. Now, the majority of believers believe that we are in end times. You know, we are entering to the last stage of human history before Jesus returns. Now, when we look in Matthew 24, 8, and I'm not going to turn to the scripture, Jesus speaks of those end times or those stages like the labor pains of all. Mothers here, we know, I mean, you know, I don't, but you know the pain that you have to go through to just give birth to babies. And, and as do that is similar to the way things are going to develop over the next amount of years. You know, I'm not going to begin to speculate how many years this is going to take, but I know that we are now on these stages until the final seven years when the Antichrist will come and rule on this earth. Now, what we spoke about over the last since last year, according to the Bible, there are key events that will take and affect the whole world. And I mentioned not necessarily in a particular order, but here we go. The rapture of the church. Now, Pastor Maker spoke last week about godliness, you know, the dream that he had about missing the rapture. Believe me, I am in the same boat as well. I keep myself praying. Am I going to miss the boat as well? So it's very important that we understand that Jesus will come and take his church to heaven. And if we are here and still alive, it's very important that we check ourselves, you know, spiritually, emotionally, and physically to make sure that we are well prepared. Jesus actually mentioned in a book of Matthew 25, when he spoke about the ten virgins, the five wise, and the five foolish. He mentioned clearly that five of those virgins were extremely wise, not because they knew what was happening, but because they were well prepared. That was the difference between the foolish one and the wise one. The wise were prepared for Jesus' return. So the rapture of the church, we spoke about it as well. You know, if you don't know about the rapture of the church, feel free to go. YouTube, anywhere you want, you will see so many topics on it. The other things which, in a way, I haven't really spoke about it yet because I think we still need to do a little bit more extensive study on it, is the invasion of Magog against Israel, which is found in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, many scholars believe that Israel, through what Ezekiel is depicted, is going to be invaded uh, surprisingly 
by different Arab countries, surrounding Arab countries around it. Now, some believers or some scholars actually believe that we're actually going into the last stages of this invasion. We know what's going on at the moment in Israel, what's taking place in Israel, but uh, we're not going to dwell on it. But that's uh, one of the events that's going to be taking place. The Arab country is going to get together and they're going to invade Israel, and Israel will have no way to defend themselves. Only God will intervene supernaturally and defeat those armies. And that will show, that will bring Israel to now believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like talking some kind of revival, you know, after this invasion. Now, number three, the arrival and reign of the Antichrist, also known as the beast. Now, again, there's many topics. I've spoke about the Antichrist a few times. I may do an extensive study on it. But it will be a man that will come here on this earth and will reign on this earth for seven years, and he will rule over the earth and subdue everyone, even the saints in those days that will still be on this earth, will be subject to terrible persecution until Jesus comes. Now, what do I say seven years? Because in the book of Daniel, he explains specifically that it will take seven years. There will be a seven years tribulation. Isaiah spoke speak also about, the, um, about it as well. So, again, I'm not going to expand it today because that's not the, the main of the topic. But the arrival of the reign of the Antichrist will be something that people will be looking forward to. But as Christians, we definitely won't be looking to his arrival. I'm telling you this. Number four, series of cataclysm, judgment falling on the earth. So you can find this in the book of Revelation, book of Isaiah, Revelation all the way from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 18 or 19. Um, John the Apostle described exactly what's going to take place on this earth and it is estimated that during that time of tribulation about 4 billion of the population will perish in essence. Now we're about 8 billion, roughly 8 billion people on this earth. So when you're talking about 4 billion, it's pretty much half of the population will die through this uh, time of tribulation. Number five, the battle of Armageddon. This is where the Antichrist will get his army and they will wage war to declare who is who's going to rule the earth. At the time, Jesus will come with all the saints. You and me, if we are part of the rapture, we will come down on earth and Jesus will stop all this and he will establish what we call his millennium kingdom. Now, let me tell you about the millennium kingdom. This is not a figurative thing. This is a real a thousand years period when Jesus will actually reign physically on this earth with a scent where people on this earth will begin to learn about God's way in essence. After the millennial, after the millennium kingdom, what's going to happen? Satan will be released from his prison again and we will come to deceive the nation and it will be thoroughly, forever defeated in essence. There will be put into the lake of uh, fire and then there would be the book will be open people will be judged and that would be it and number seven which i'm looking forward to a new earth and a new jerusalem finally revelation 21 one there will be a new earth and a new jerusalem so the earth that we are living here will be no more it will be something completely different and more beautiful actually to be honest so all i'm speaking about they're all being prophesied by daniel ezekiel Isaiah, even John the Apostle himself, you know, recorded this event in the book of Revelation as well. Now, all those prophecies, they were revealed to us to give us hope, but also to prepare us for Jesus' return and to help us to begin to live a godly life. So, 
The question that I've been asking and during those teaching is, how do we prepare ourselves for his return? And we looked at many ways. Pastor Nikki spoke as well about many ways to prepare. Uh, Pastor Maker mentioned about godliness last week, which I think is a very, very important part of it as well, which really looking at our heart condition in essence. So what we looked at, number one, was faith, the importance to believe the word of God. Number two was obedience and trust him. It's so important to be obedient and trust what God is doing in his season. Number three, we spoke about letting God do his things and know that he is the Lord. Number four, we need to know Jesus. We need to know him personally, have a personal relationship with him. Number five, you know, I spoke about the, the version, the ten, the, the ten version, the five wise and the five foolish, about watching, about preparing, and be ready. You know, Jesus mentioned this in his book. Be ready, be prepared, because you don't know the hour when the Son of Man is coming. And that is really a warning to us to make sure that we're always on alert, just in case Jesus comes now. He can come at any time. He can come right now as I'm speaking. He can come in 20 years. We just don't know. Only the Father in heaven knows the time when Jesus will come. Number six, I spoke about the rapture. You know, I mentioned I'm not going to talk about it again. Number seven, I said taking heed of Jesus' instruction regarding his church. And on that topic, I mentioned it about the seven letters to the seven churches. Now, we believe that Jesus sent seven letters to seven churches based in Asia Minor in that sense. And as is addressed to seven churches, which is as Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Tytara, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Now, many people are asking this question, why did Jesus choose actually those churches? There were so many other churches around the area. Why did he specifically locate those seven churches in those seven cities? Jesus wanted to give us an x-ray of the spiritual condition of the churches in that time. So when we look at those seven churches, and I'm not going to go into detail, one of the things that's very important is each letter had a similar outline. At the beginning of every letter, there is what we call a divine revelation. Jesus revealed a part of himself divinely to people. So specifically dedicated to whatever church he is, he will reveal himself to him. So this is a description of Jesus Christ. Then he tells us what is right about the church. Then he goes on to tell us what is wrong about the church. Then he asks, then he said to us, what do we need to do to fix it? And uh, the interesting thing, there was only two churches that Jesus asked nothing wrong to say about it. That was the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia. Why? Because those two churches have something that was very specific in Jesus' heart. The one of Smyrna, they were committed to Jesus Christ even to the death. And as a matter of fact, they call it in the book of Revelation, the persecuted church. This is what the church that was persecuted for the name of Jesus. And they never fell. They were ready to die for Christ. And I've got to ask this question, are we ready to die for Christ today? That is the question. And I put a question mark on us because none of us really know until we actually face to the actual situation. 
It is easy to say that I want or it is easy to say that I will. But until you actually face in front of that situation, you will never know whether you're ready to die for Christ. I pray that we will be ready to die for Christ regarding the circumstances. The other church is the church that was faithful, the church of Philadelphia. They were in the word and they were faithful to the word and to the end. And that was the only reason Jesus has nothing say, nothing wrong to say about those churches. In the church of Ephesus, the problem that the church have is that they were in love with Jesus and around the line they lost their love for Jesus. They lost it. So really they needed to stay in love with Jesus. And sometimes it is easy. When we are born again, we are very excited about Christ. We are. We go to every meeting, every prayer meeting, every conference where we go to the end of the earth to attend those meetings. But we've got to learn to maintain it. And it's not easy to do it. It's a journey. And what you find out sometimes as believers, sometimes you kind of wave a little bit. You kind of struggle a little bit. And that was the problem with Ephesus. They were in love with Jesus. Then they lost the love for Jesus. The church of Pergamus, they begin to compromise. You know, sometimes the things that you're not supposed to do, the things that you're not supposed to listen to, the things that you're not supposed to eat, they begin to compromise in those days. The church of Tataya was completely corrupted. So they went the completely the other way. They will do things for Christ, but they will be corrupted underneath. The church in Sardis, there was no Holy Spirit in them. They were dead in the spirit. And the church of Laodicea, which I believe in God's heart, the way he described it, is probably one of the worst ones, lukewarm. Do you know God doesn't? You either be hot or cold for Christ. The lukewarm, one minute you're in the kingdom, the next minute you're not in the kingdom. Jesus was saying that to this church, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is something that Jesus hates. People that lukewarm, Christian lukewarm, in that sense. Now, does this church exist today in Turkey? From history book, the only one that still operating today in Turkey is in Smyrna, is the church of Smyrna. And uh, the city of Smyrna today is called Izmir. And there's actually a church here still operating in Turkey. Unfortunately, Turkey now has become a spiritually dark place when spiritually the word of God is not really dwelling into these places. And then... Um, Back in December, we look into sharing the gospel. And that's something that I wanted to continue today. Last night, I had a dream. I was ready for, uh, to share a different type of word, and then I had a dream last night. In that dream, I was um, speaking to someone. I think it was a, a lady, looked like somebody from work. And um, I was trying to reach out to her. I was actually speaking the gospel to her. And she was very adamant that she didn't want to hear from it, that she didn't believe in Jesus, that she actually was very adamant that she was in a good place. She was in a good place in that sense. And then I woke up. Last night before I went into dream, I asked the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to share? What is it that you want me to share? What is the word that you want me to share about it? And when I woke up, 
in the morning, early hours in the morning, I start writing my notes and start, you know, meditating, praying, and he revealed this. And he says to me, speak about making disciples of the gospel. Making disciples of the gospel. When we look today, the majority of non-believers believe that they are going to heaven. Not because of Jesus, but maybe because they're doing charitable work. Or maybe because they haven't killed anyone or steal anything. Maybe they've been good to people, nice to people. They are believing that they can buy their way to heaven by other way. But the Bible is very clear, very clear about, the, about salvation. And um, in America, we were, they were doing um, a poll. And they were asking um, to people, how many people do you believe are going to heaven? And naturally, 17, 80% of people believe that they're going to heaven. And I'm just kind of wondering, why is people believing that getting to heaven, you need to buy for it? Why do you need to pay your way to heaven? When Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died on a cross for us, on Calvary, he died for us. It's literally a gift from God. A gift from God. But what Satan has been doing over centuries, he's been hiding this truth, which means that people now have to believe that they're going to heaven, and every day people are dying. Every day we have people dying. And the majority of those people who are dying are believing that they're going to heaven. So they would spend 60, 70, 80 years on this earth try to do the right thing. Trying to be the best person that they can be. Trying to do whatever is necessary to be good without knowing Christ. And when they die, you and I know that there is only one place that's left for them. We have 70, 18 years in general to make up our mind. For some of us, less than that. To make up our mind whether we are going to follow Christ or not. Christ will never force each one of us to come to him. He will never do it. But what he does expect from us is to share the gospel. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20 says this. If we can put it on the screen, guys. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. He says this. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them, sorry, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even Mark 16, 15, 18 says this. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And this sign will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with your tongue. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hand on the sick and they will recover. That is a great commission. It is a great commission. And sometimes I feel in our churches, we're not speaking enough of the Great Commission and making disciples of the gospel. We speak a lot about, some speak a lot about prosperity and how to get better and so on. But this is God's Great Commission to every single believer. If you are a born again today, you don't need to be a pastor, a prophet, a teacher. All you need to do is just to obey what God said. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, some people may ask you, but what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who receives instruction from another person. That is the definition of a disciple. A Christian disciple is baptized a follower of Christ, one who believes the teaching of Christ. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you believe the teaching of Christ? I do. So, therefore, I am commissioned to go, therefore, and to make disciples. It's like in a job. You get a job, you get a project, you are commissioned to fulfill the job that's been given to you. So, as a believers, as a born-again Christian, we are commissioned to go, and therefore, and make disciples. There is no exception. This is not, shall we do it or shall we not do it? This is what Jesus said to do. So we have to do it. Wherever we are, wherever we go, we have to go and make disciples. That is a rule. That is a rule. Now, preaching the gospel, there's some confusion sometimes. And I'm made that confusion at times. Sometimes people believe that preaching the gospel is speaking about your testimony and how you got saved. Why are you saying this? You're giving your personal account of your testimony, of how you got saved. But preaching the gospel is basically preaching that Jesus died on the cross, was buried for three days, raised from the dead. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And that through his resurrection, you and I are saved. That is the gospel. That's what Jesus commissioned us to do, to preach that gospel. Now, in preaching that gospel, you can speak about you, how you got saved and, and how you felt and all this. But if you have to preach the gospel... Is preaching Christ died, raised, resurrected, and salvation, leading to salvation. That's why you need to speak. When you look at the book of Acts, the early church, that was the message. Listen, none of them have the Bible in those days. They were writing the Bible in the New Testament. 
They said Paul write a third of the Bible. So they were still writing it. They were still getting revelation from Jesus. They were still getting revelation from the Holy Spirit. So they had one message. Salvation. The Bible said that when they were in the upper room in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, they were in the upper room praying, waiting, because Jesus are commanding them. But before he said that, he said, wait for the Holy Spirit. So he's giving a commission, but then he's giving an instruction what to do. Sometimes when you get commissioned for a job, they give you the job that you need to do, and they give you exactly what you need to do. It. And Jesus told the apostle, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem. He specifically said, you wait in Jerusalem for the coming. So they were praying in the upper room, you know, shambara, no guitar, no bass, nothing at all. Just the voices, singing, praising God, you know, loving him to beat and everything. And then the Holy Spirit come. The Holy Spirit come upon them. And they see revelation. They're ready to go. The Bible said that when Peter went on the street, they, those guys were speaking. They thought they were drunk. Because they were speaking languages. Sometimes they were speaking languages that people could understand. The power of the Holy Spirit was so evident in the life of those believers that miracle took place. One sentence, one message that Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. When we go to the street of Chatham, even to speak to one person is a struggle. He went there in the middle of the place among everybody, start preaching the word of God. And he didn't preach prosperity. He didn't preach healing. All he preached was Jesus died, resurrected, repent, be baptized, for salvation is here. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit, they received it. 3,000 people. 3,000. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that you go out, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you walk on the street, and you tell to this person, be saved. And the person says, yes, I receive it. You put your hand on that person, you know, heal, come straight. The power of God, we need that. We need the power. We need the power. But before knowing the power, we need to know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to understand the great commission. I woke up this morning and I thought, wow. And as I was writing this, the Lord was downloading things. And I had to repent. I have to repent. The Great Commission. How many times I read the Great Commission? You know, when you're young, you go to school, Sunday school, the Great Commission. You know, go there for make disciple of all nations. And that's it. But you have to understand what it means. If we said or said that we are believers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand it. Hmm. So, disciple, follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what they were called. Do you know that the word Christian came in a book of Acts 11.26? They says this. As a matter of fact, I saw this, uh, this, this, this fact is, in a, act, in a book of Acts, Jesus, believers in Jesus are typically referred to as disciple 28 times in the book of Acts. So when they were seen Jesus follower, they would call him disciple. 
And then, in, if you read in the book of Acts 11, 26, he says this. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christian. That's where the word Christian came from. In Antioch. Because they saw those guys and they were following Christ. And they said those disciples, they like Christ. They like Christ. So they're Christian. They're Christian. Today, everybody call themselves Christian. You know? You go to church once or twice, you call yourself a Christian. You know, you, you heard a little bit about Jesus, you call yourself a Christian. But a true Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. Is a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. So how do we make disciples? When we go back to the scriptures, Matthew, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, if you can put it back on the screen. I wanted to look at three words here. 18, 20. Thank you. Eight, sorry, 18 to 20. 18, 19, 20. Okay, let's put 19 then, sorry. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I've got to the other one. Go, that is the first word. Go, that's what we need to do. We need to go. How do we make disciples? First of all, we need to go. That's what we need to do. We cannot make disciples until we start taking the initiative. We need to take the initiative when it comes to making disciples. We need to go. Wherever is your initiative. Listen, you don't have to go to the end of the world to make disciples. Start for those who have married and children. Start with your children. Start with your children. That's where you start. Listen, I got this revelation of bit late. So I've got 11, a 16 and a half, and 18. So we started a bit late to disciple them. But you, you, the young family over there, you got like one, two-year-old. Start when they're young. Start when they're young. When they're two, three years old. How do you think the Muslims are doing it? How do you think they are doing it? They're discipling their children. So start when you're young. Disciple your children. That is the first thing. As husbands, we need to disciple our wives. That is important. God has given us to nurture them, to protect them, to guide them, to make them flourish, and to disciple them. So we need to disciple our children, our young ones. And if you don't have any children, start with your family member, your brother, your sister, your niece, your nephew, your cousin, your auntie, sometimes even your mom and dad. 
I remember, and, and my brother, he won't, you know, he won't mind sharing this. We speak, we start speaking on the phone about Christ on the phone. And we begin to share that. Years ago. Years ago. I spoke to my, speak to my sister from time to time on the phone about Christ and try to bring it. And then last month, I was at work and she texted on WhatsApp and started texting. And, and suddenly, I don't know what happened. She started talking about some issue that she was having. And I started talking about Christ. And I was in the middle of a little break before I started filming and then texting it. And then before we know it, we come to the situation when, do you want to receive him? And she responded, yes, by text message. So I'm thinking, okay, what do I do now? You know, because I, I wasn't expecting this. But what's happening is, when you go and you take the initiative to do what you need to do, God begins to open the door. He begins to open the door. And sometimes, you don't have to do it straight away. Do you know that making disciples is about relationship? you got to build a relationship with a person. Sometimes you can. Straight away, the power of God come upon you. You speak the word, people receive it. But most of the time, you have to build that relationship. So with my sister, we build a relationship that she can say things to me when things don't quite right. She would be confident to me. And I just got to give a word of advice. Who is a person in your life that you mentoring, that you're giving advice to that is not born again? This is a person that you need to disciple. That is a person that you need to disciple. I've got so much to go on with, but I want to take my time. I want to take my time. We need to make disciples. I wanted the um, youth to come here because I want us to pray the coming. I want us to pray for them. I want Pastor Nicholas to pray for them and lay hand on those young ones. You know, all young ones, they need to be disciples. They need to be disciples. And most of them want to be discipled. They want to be discipled. And I want us this morning, as Pastor Maker, Pastor Nicholas, to lay your hand on us, young one. That there would be a desire, a desire to be disciple and a desire to make disciple themselves. There are things that, there are areas of this young one, we cannot do it. I am too old. I don't even know the, the language, what they're speaking. I don't know. I don't know what they're going around, what they're hanging around. I don't know. But those young ones, they know how to reach it. And we need to begin to impart into them.